We greet everyone this morning, the brothers here at the Monastery of the Holy Cross, uh, friends and guests, especially families of the deacon candidates. I remember well, uh, it was the year 1956, and Mother took us children downtown to the famous uh, Chicago Theater on State Street to see the newly released Cecil B. DeMille's The Ten Commandments, starring a host of Hollywood greats like Charlton Heston, Edward G. Robinson, Yul Brynner, Ann Baxter, Deborah Paget, Ivan DiCarlo, and even Vincent Price, to name several. I remember we stood in a long line waiting to get into the theater for our registered showing. It was a long movie with an intermission. The movie ran for weeks and weeks and still is with us in annual television reruns and DVD, considered certainly one of the religious greats of Hollywood filmmaking, especially of the religious genre. As a kid, I was struck by the technicolor of this great Bible narrative, particularly the passage about Moses speaking with God through the burning bush. And then, of course, the dramatic giving of the commandments written on two stone tablets with the fiery finger of God. The images therefrom remain to this day. One such image is found on the cover of your worship aid this morning. The narrative of the Ten Commandments tells of God's relentless desire to connect with us by setting up a contract with us whereby he would be our God and we would be his people. There were ten articles of the contract which have proven a mixed experience for people to observe, a framework for law and order, and a template for moral behavior. God has a habit of choosing to work through the most inauspicious people and circumstances. Looking at a list of qualified agents, one might suspect that the Creator is downright limited when it comes to us. Most of those, those employed in the Bible would not make it with a standard modern job interview. Perhaps that's why so many people attempt to change God's message, to conform to their own ideas and plans. People like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob just weren't ambitious or vengeful enough to cut the ice in a competitive world. Namely, Moses is a case in point. Michelangelo Bonorati sculpted him in marble as a long-bearded, muscular giant seated like a sage with the tablets in hand, gazing into the beyond. The book of Exodus, from which our first reading is taken for today, tells us Moses was a runaway fugitive who relied on his father-in-law for a job as a shepherd. 
instead of appearing to Moses accompanied by angels and trumpets, God got Moses' attention by setting a flame, a bush, on a level stretch of the mountain that bore the name of Mount Horeb, translated to mean desolate wasteland. When Moses cautiously approached to take a look at the strange bush on fire, but not burning up, God addressed him by name and told him to take off his sandals, for the ground upon which he stood was holy ground. This was worship in its most profound expression. Then God told Moses his name. I am. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. God went on to say, I have witnessed the affliction of my people in Egypt and have heard their cry. I know well that they are suffering. Luring Moses closer than ever, God revealed his own mind. He said to Moses, I have come to rescue my people and lead them into a good and spacious land. Go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. Moses was taken aback. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? But his protests were in vain. Moses scored a point in the interchange, however, when he explained, in so many words, when he needed a good calling card with which to approach the Israelites. Would you please reveal a name that I can use to convince them? Moses asked. Moses' tiny bit of willingness to serve opened the path for God to enter into a relationship with him that would leave Moses burning inside with more energy than the fiery bush with which God had first lured him. Perhaps what captured Moses for good was God's revelation of a name that seemed to be both a riddle and a promise. I am who am. God's name seemed to mean everything at once. That name explained that God is the author and the owner of the verb to be. He is existence itself. This name disclosed that God is involved in everything and is the essence of all things good. He is the answer to every question and the cause of all things we observe. That, combined with God's history with the patriarchs and his attention to Israel's suffering, told Moses and everyone who comes after him that God is, and that there is no one before him. The God of Israel was different from the other gods of Egypt, Greece, and Rome and the contemporary political and economic systems that enslave people. The God of Israel reveals that the one true divinity watches over people and listens to their cries 
to the point of suffering with them. This God did not often seek servants among the powerful because they are too sure of themselves, too quick to dominate, too arrogant to need God. The God of Israel chooses servants from among lowly people, people who are innately prepared to share divine compassion for suffering and for peoples under the grip of oppression. Because these servants know their disabilities, they learn to rely on grace more than on themselves. Thus God lured Moses with the marvel of a burning bush for which there was no smoke of conflagration and told him his divine name so that he might get caught up in the mystery of who God is. The more Moses knew of God, the more deeply he became as on fire as the bush that first got his attention and freeing his people in the bargain. Friends, the burning bush is an emblem of our faith and its beginnings at the time of that first covenant. God continues to act among us, seeking people willing to wonder, to fall in love with God, and then to act. Whether we are drawn to God through the name that is an ever mysterious form of the verb to be, or through the wonders of creation, God tries to attract us with a universe full of burning bushes and a multitude of theophanies, if only we would be curious enough to find them. God's attention-getting behavior aims at bringing us into a Moses-like cycle of loving God in and through interpreting our joys and sorrows, hopes and griefs, and anxieties until not only we but all the world is on fire with the unquenchable love of God. Though we may claim incompetence, which happens to be the first quality God is seeking, God changes our incompetence into competence to do his bidding. When we admit that much, God can do the rest. Today, with the new covenant and grace, uh, this burning bush translates to the monstrance that holds the Holy Eucharist for our gaze. By it, countless faithful receive in adoration the voice of God for the inspiration they need to be fervent disciples, prayerfully navigating the contradictions of life and freeing spouses and children from the clutches of the evils of the culture while bringing them closer to God. We continue to need to be freed from the clutches of the pharaohs of the culture. Joseph and Gabriel, you have heard the voice of God in the call of your vocation as consecrated religious and now as ones to be ordained as deacons of the church with an official mission. You know the Lord's name and have announced it to others as one whom you have come to know. 
and you have answered the charge generously with your very life, as expressed in the evangelical counsels of poverty, chastity, obedience that binds you to the Church and this community of brothers who search daily the will of God within prayer, duty, and amendment of life. May you be enlivened by that fire which is God's face warming your heart and empowering you with his grace. Like Moses, you too are frail men who nonetheless God has chosen for himself. Do relish in God's appointment of you. Like Moses, you have first investigated what first you did not quite understand, as well as the identity of the God who was calling you. God intends to act through you in your consecration to bring about salvation in others. As God promised to be with Moses, so he promises to be with you. In your prayer before the Blessed Sacrament, you have found your vocation and the Church has endorsed your call as authentic. This gathering of the faithful, this day of your ordination, finds us gazing upon you with wonder and thanksgiving for the inspiration of your witness and your response to God's summons. This Lent, we all take stock of how well we have lived up to our call from God, the source of our being. It may be the time to make a course correction, to repent of having missed the mark on our way and respond to the cultivation and nourishment provided by the one who is, who was, and who will be, the one whom we call I Am. <laughs>